Hey, everybody, and welcome to Honorable Mentions, the official podcast of the Shackles Honors College at Mississippi State University. My name is Wade Leonard, and I'm the outreach coordinator at the Honors College. Today, we have a really big show. We have two uh, remarkable guests, one of whom you've heard from before, one of whom you haven't. But they are both really far away right now, from me anyway, uh, fairly close to one another, though, in Oxford, England. First up, we have Dr. Christopher Snyder. Dr. Christopher Snyder became the first dean of the Shackles Honors College at Mississippi State University in 2011. He is a professor of European history at MSU, an affiliated faculty member in the Department of English, and affiliated with the history faculty at the University of Oxford. A medieval historian, Dr. Snyder has a particular interest in the work of J.R.R. Tolkien and has written two books about Tolkien's work, Hobbit Virtues and The Making of Middle-Earth, which I think is about to get a reprint. He is the author of several other non-Tolkien-related books, including Gatsby's Oxford, The Britons, The World of King Arthur, and An Age of Tyrants. Dr. Snyder has also lectured frequently at the Smithsonian Institution and has appeared on the History Channel, the Learning Channel, the National Geographic Channel, and BBC Television and Radio. Joining him is Dr. Tudor Jones. Dr. Jones is a political historian and the senior tutor at the Oxford Study Abroad program. A graduate of Jesus College, Oxford, he did his postgraduate work at the London School of Economics and is an honorary research fellow in the history of political thought at Coventry University, UK. He is the author of several books, including The Revival of British Liberalism, From Griman to Clegg, Modern Political Thinkers and Ideas, and Remaking the Labour Party from Gatskill to Blair. His latest book is Bob Dylan and the British 60s, A Cultural History. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are y'all today? Good afternoon. Speaking from a very wet Oxford. That's what I. That's what I understand. Um, but it's isn't it generally kind of wet over there anyway? Uh, we are, we are an island, so we have a maritime climate. <laughs> we we've had a good stretch of warm weather for about yeah. uh, two weeks. So yeah. two weeks, we, which, so, may, which may well we hope return. Well, we really really appreciate you you taking some time and, and speaking with us today. Let's first of all start with the obvious. Why? is a person from Mississippi State University talking to people who are in Oxford, England right now. What are you doing over there and what's your affiliation with the university? In the summer, um, there are a number of faculty-led programs uh, visiting American students. I I myself have been teaching visiting American students in Oxford, uh, mainly on this program um, since 1990. And um, I can't remember the, how, how many uh, universities and U.S. universities and colleges we've, we have had links with. I should remember this, but um, um, many hundreds. Um, Chris might help me out on that, but I can't remember the exact figure. But uh, so the Mississippi State program is one of those in the summer. And as I understand, it's been running since 2012. That, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right, Tudor. I, I, I've been coming... For, for decades as well, um, but uh, we we started bringing Mississippi State students in the summer of, of 2012, and uh, there are lots of international students in Oxford, and there are lots of American students, um, but one of the unique things about our program is we run it during Trinity term, which is the beginning of our summer um, in the United States, but is still the third term here at Oxford, so that enables our students to um, be able to have people like Dr. Jones 
instruct them and other Oxford faculty. Um, and then we, we have a faculty member, myself or another faculty member from Mississippi State who comes with the students as well. And they get to be a member of one of Oxford's colleges. So it's, it's, a, it's a really strong and, and unique program that, that we've had going now for, for nearly 10 years. This particular program, the Oxford Study Abroad Program, was founded in, eight, in 1983. Uh, was up and running really fully by 1985 in Oxford. It's the largest independent um, study abroad program in Oxford. Um, and over the years since then, and as, as I said earlier, I've been teaching on it since 1990, but um, roughly 20,000 American students from U.S. universities and um, colleges have been um, students on the program. And I think the number of universities and colleges we've had connection with is something like 1,500. I can't remember the exact figure, but something like that from, from most states of the union. You know, obviously Oxford is in England, and obviously uh, most people are at least passingly familiar with what Oxford is. But for those who may not be aware, Dr. Jones, can you give me the briefest of glimpses into the history of Oxford and the importance of the university over the centuries? Sure. Oxford, University of Oxford is the oldest university in the English-speaking world. It was founded at the end of the 11th century, around about 1090, most historians put the foundation today. Um, and the three oldest colleges were founded in the 13th century in the 1200s. And the, the oldest one is reckoned to be the University College, always referred to as UNIF. Um, Bill Clinton was a postgrad student, um, had a Rhodes Scholarship at University College Oxford. Um, and it's a collegiate university. That's a big difference from most British universities. There are about 140 universities in Britain. Um, but Oxford is the oldest, and um, uh, it is a collegiate university. It consists of 38 colleges, um, most of which are for both undergraduates and graduate students. But I think there are about eight, eight of those 38 are, are explicitly um, postgraduate colleges. And we have links with, um, this program has links with two very well-established and historic colleges. Um, new College, which was founded in the 14th century, so it's anything but new. And uh, secondly, Trinity College, founded in the 16th century. I myself was educated at, um, as an undergraduate at Jesus College, um, which is actually the first, was the first Protestant college in Oxford. And the only college founded in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, uh, and currently this year celebrating its 450th anniversary. So that's a, a brief historical outline. So it's a big deal, right, Dr. Snyder? Um, how did you two? How did you two become acquainted? Yeah, so I, I've been affiliated with um, the Oxford Study Abroad program going back to about 2007. Uh, so back in the early days, I, I met Tudor. Um, I used to be the chair of a department of history and politics. Um, so Tudor and I uh, have overlapping interests and overlapping fields and have become friends. Uh, Tudor did me a great favor in, in reading uh, my Gatsby's Oxford book when it was in galleys and gave me some great feedback. Uh, Tudor's been uh, one of the most popular uh, tutors for our students from Mississippi State over the years. So we're, we're really grateful uh, that he's been able to bring his 
his perspective on um, on British politics and political philosophy uh, to our students. Um, but we also occasionally get to see Tudor in the States. He comes over for American conferences. And so we, we get to put together occasionally for those as well. There's a, there's a term that, that that we keep using that may not be familiar or may have a different connotation to an American audience, and that word is tutor. What is a what is a tutor at Oxford? What what, what does that mean? Well, the I what is distinctive about the pattern of teaching and learning at the University of Oxford, uh, and it's peculiar to the University of Oxford and what we call jocularly in Oxford the other place. That's the second oldest university in the English-speaking world, the University of Cambridge, is the tutorial system. The tutorial system, so the typical pattern of teaching and learning is tutorials and lectures. And the usual ratio of uh, inherent in the tutorial system is one tutor to one student. Just before this, Lord Gersdai was um, having a tutorial history of political thought with a student. He was from um, Hillsdale College in uh, Michigan. And um, it's, so the tutorial system is very student-centered. Uh, it's very, uh, it, it encourages the student to, to read around the subject, to write an essay, and then bring it back and read it out during an individual tutorial, which will last between typically one hour and an hour and a half, never less than an hour, never more than an hour and a half. And it encouraged students to make their own intellectual discoveries and inquiries, um, as opposed to what I sometimes call packaged packaged learning. It's, it's, it's very encouraging of um, the acquisition of knowledge and understanding for their own sake, I think that's the first aim of the tutorial system. The second aim is to encourage students to think for themselves and they have to make their own intellectual inquiries and discoveries, as I mentioned, because it's very student-centered. Uh, and thirdly, to develop analytical and critical skills. And the vast majority of students I've taught, uh, visiting American and some Canadian students I've taught at the University of Oxford, and mainly on this program, um, I've also taught British undergraduates at various colleges as well. But the vast majority of students I've taught have found this a very rewarding and liberating experience because it is so student-centered. It is so individualistic. Um, and, uh, you know, I know this from uh, in, in the past, letters and cards and now emails and so on. So I think those are, uh, those are its great, the great benefits of the tutorial system. And so if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that when we send students to Oxford as a part of this program, they are getting one-on-one -on -one attention from individuals such as yourself. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm currently teaching uh, three students from Mississippi State. Yeah, so we, uh, we bring on usually... On a one-to-one -one basis. Right. And, and, and we bring usually about 15 or so students uh, over a su each summer, but that's this is not the only place where they can uh, have an Oxbridge tutorial. Um, we offer that in the Shackles Honors College curriculum, uh, and it, it is of course inspired by o Oxford. Uh, I lived here in the early '90s as a graduate student, and I, I didn't see this going on because I was a graduate student. It's really an undergraduate uh, focused pedagogy 
that is almost exclusive to Oxford and Cambridge. Very few places outside of Oxford and Cambridge do this. Um, so it wasn't until years later that I, I kind of saw it being done by one of my colleagues. And I thought this could be really good for honors students. Uh, so not all students maybe are, are, are ready for this kind of one-on-one experience, but I found that our honors students are and have done great work in tutorials in Oxford, but also taking a, an Oxford tutorial uh, back at Mississippi State. Well, Dr. Jones, how have the Mississippi State students that you've worked with performed? They're doing very well. And um, as I say, I can tell that, you know, they're enjoying very much having the time to read around the subject, um, which is not the case. You see, I mean, I, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, I did teach at Coventry University, uh, a good a good rank, you know, ranks probably in the top 30 of British universities, but very different system there where you have, you know, a seminar with maybe 15, at least 15 students. You have a big lecture class of maybe 40, 50, maybe 80 students, much more impersonal. And that's not peculiar to to Coventry. That's the general pattern in most British universities. And they they have their merits. Um, But uh, as Chris said, uh, there are very few, I think I'm right in saying there aren't any other universities within the UK apart from Cambridge, which have the tutorial system. Um, And I should add that this process, this experience, this educational experience is enhanced by the fact that the Mississippi State students who come here have access to, at the moment, the new college library, which is a very good college library. And um, as from as from next Monday, in fact, access to the Bodleian Library, there's been more restricted access um, because of the exceptional times we've been in over the last 15 months in the UK and indeed globally. But uh, I should stress the fact that the, the Bodleian Library, where I seem to have spent um, half my life, um, not, not quite, but uh, is, the, is the best library in the UK. It's the biggest, best university library in the UK. It's the, it's the biggest university library in the UK. It's second only um, to the British Library in London. So it's the second biggest library within the UK overall. Uh, it has an estimated 11 million books and other printed items. Um, so it's, it's close, close, it follows closely on the British Library in London, which has about 15 million books, one five million. So, and so they, they find it, the students here find it a very rewarding experience to have access both to that new college library um, and to the Bodleian Library itself. And like the Library of Congress in the United States, it's a copyright library. So they get copies of everything that's copywritten in the UK. Um, and the Bodleian is really a network of more than a dozen libraries. So it's not just one building. Uh, and that's only part of how Oxford is centered on the book because all the colleges have libraries, uh, the faculties, the research centers, they have libraries as well. And then Oxford has great bookstores uh to top it off so for honor students who normally love to read and love books the oxford study abroad program is is a natural place to be is there a particular major that you need to be in order to take part in the oxford study abroad program no not not at all um oxford being the oldest um university in the english-speaking world means that it's developed uh lots of majors as we would call them uh they call them faculties here uh, lots of disciplines that you can read in, you can study in, 
uh, undergraduate and postgraduate. So really, again, like a tutorial, this program is geared around the students' interests. If they come here and they want to study political philosophy, then they get uh, an opportunity to study with somebody like Dr. Jones. Uh, and they could be a political science major, or they could be an, an engineering major, but just an interest in, in British politics. Uh, but the same thing goes with a student who wants to come and study engineering or um, biochemistry, for example, uh, virology, as you can imagine, was a really big topic this summer and pandemics. Uh, so those students are matched with tutors in their disciplines as well. Well, I, I should add the fact that apart from the central emphasis on academic studies, um, they do have the opportunity as well to have a connection with one of the colleges with which this program is associated at currently New College. And that means they have the ability to, to meet and mix with uh, British undergraduates. Um, they have access to uh, university and college societies. I think there are about 300 altogether of these university and college societies in uh, sporting, cultural, political societies, and so on. Um, Chris was telling me the other day that um, one, of, one of your students, uh, either that last time or this, this time is um, playing for, has been playing for the, his, 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 his college baseball team, I think that's right. You, you that's right, yes. I know rowing is a very popular, popular pastime as well for many visiting American students. There's baseball so at Oxford? There is baseball in Oxford. It was brought there by the Rhodes Scholars. The first Rhodes Scholars came over and uh, started the Oxford baseball team. And that year, they won the championship in the British Isles by defeating Cambridge. And I, sh I should also add that, that uh, Oxford itself is a small city. The population is about 150,000. Um, but there are about just under 40,000 students here, um, about 24,000 currently from the University of Oxford, and, and nearby there's um, a university called Oxford Brooks University, where there are about 16,000 students. Um, Oxford Brooks is a bit more like a, an American um, state university. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a vibrant small city. There's a lot to do. You know, there, there are theatres, obviously, there are restrictions currently in that respect but you know there are pubs there are restaurants you know it's it's a it's a, a small but vibrant city um and of course architecturally beautiful uh and very close to london and um, i'm a native londoner so i'm biased in that respect i spent half my life first half of my life in london second half in in oxford uh oxford uh, london is a great city so they uh, they have easy access to london it's only one hour by train just over about an hour and a half by by bus, there's a 24-hour bus service, you know, so they have access to, uh, in, fact, in fact, the Mississippi State students I was teaching, I'm teaching at the moment, went to London last weekend, and I was able to give them a few tips on where to go, recommend some very good walks by the Thames, River Thames, by Parliament, and then across St. James's Park into the Buckingham Palace, or to outside of Buckingham Palace, back into what we call the West End and Soho and areas like that. You know, so, you know, they enjoy that very much. So there's but definitely there be, more more going on than, than their studies. You know, they're not just going yeah. to Oxford and sitting in a library for a, a, a month yeah. and a half. They are doing other things no, as well. Definitely, 
definitely more going on than that. We we will be in London next week uh, attending uh, a production of Shakespeare's As You Like It at the Globe Theater, uh, which is something we try to do every year. And uh, we're very fortunate that we, we're, we're coming over as some restrictions have been uh, uh, loosened because of the pandemic um, that, that the Globe is opening back up. So uh, our students have got to see Shakespeare at the Globe. They've got to see Shakespeare at Stratford-Vaughan-Avon. They've gotten to go to Shakespeare performances in Oxford because Oxford has a lot of drama uh, going on in in and outside the colleges, um, as well as sports and social life. So it really is a a good balance. Oxford is especially known for being able to, to balance academics and social life. I deeply love the idea of someone from Mississippi State going over there and playing for the Oxford baseball team. Deeply, deeply love that. Um, well, Dr. Snyder, you know, this all sounds fantastic, but how is this experience actually preparing our students for whatever it is they're going to do next? You know, we talk a lot about things like prestigious external scholarships. Many of our students are thinking about graduate school. You know, right. is this something useful to attain something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we don't we don't usually take freshmen, but uh, usually starting the, the second year, students think about the Oxford program and try to set aside that time for the summer, first half of the summer uh, to do their study abroad experience in Oxford if they can. Uh, because of all the the benefits that that the tutor and I mentioned, uh, but in terms of their career trajectories, uh, they will be set up for application to prestigious external scholarships like the Rhodes Scholarship, the Marshall Scholarship, the Gates Cambridge Scholarship, uh, the Fulbright Scholarship Program. So any of the international ones, but especially those uh, in the United Kingdom. And uh, they will be able to meet professors who have written, uh, Oxford professors who've written letters of recommendation for our students for these fellowships, as well as graduate school applications. And those two processes go go together. Uh, so as, as you know, if you're a podcast listener uh, of ours, uh, a student of ours a few years ago named Field Brown uh, was able to come here on the Oxford Study Abroad program and spend, uh, spend time uh, in, in the summer in this program and uh, got to know the English faculty at Oxford uh, so that when he applied as a graduate student and as a Rhodes Scholar applicant, uh, he had an advantage, as you can imagine, over other students who didn't know Oxford the way he already knew it. And he was successful and, and won a Rhodes Scholarship. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll endorse that by um, mentioning that you know, over the years, uh, many of the visiting American students I've taught, both um, during the term, what, what you would call, I think, the semester students, and like Chris's program in the summer, summer students, whether they're faculty-led or individual uh, students who come over, um, have been inspired by Oxford, inspired by the whole academic and social experience to the point of applying for postgraduate degree programs in Oxford. And obviously they're aware of the fact that it's highly competitive, depending, depending on the subject. And since we, since we started the Oxford program um, at Mississippi State, uh, back in 2012, I think every year but one, we have had a student who's been accepted for postgraduate study at Oxford or Cambridge. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And it seems to me, Dr. Jones, that one of the fundamental benefits for our students is obviously expanding their horizons, expanding their thought, 
modifying you know their ideas do you find the inverse of that to be true though do you do you working with these students from all over the united states maybe mississippi specifically has that had any effect on your academic work or your relationship to the political world that you study it certainly made made me a um, much more aware of um, american government and society and culture um, and of the kind of very close links between you know, what, what is generally termed the special relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom, which is not just political and isn't just based on bonds of history, language and culture, which of course it is, but also in terms of the very close links which exist between a number of professional worlds and, and and one of those is, is clearly academia. So it's made me very much aware of that and very, very much valuing that. And um, certainly the, I, I know the students who come over here you know, value the, uh, the British side of that special relationship. Um, I should also add, um, with regard to postgraduate study, that uh, another aim, which I think I touched on, another aim of the tutorial system is to develop analytical and critical skills. And I, I mentioned in an orientation program lectures, which I give both during semester terms, as we call them in Oxford, and during the summer programs, um, that there was a study in about three years ago in the New York International Tribune um, of a study of CEOs and uh, senior human resource managers in companies, financial, business, uh, industrial uh, media companies in about 30 developed countries in the world, which were asked, who were asked to rank uh, world universities in order of the employability of their graduates. And Oxford came out top, uh, even though Oxford has only one, I think I'm right in saying vocational, uh, under, uh, undergraduate degree program, which is medicine, you know, has se several um, vocational postgraduate degree program, but only one. So that does indicate as well how, and it's a point I make to students, that the develop the tutorial system uh, enables them to develop, because it's so student-centered, enables them to develop analytical and critical skills, which can be trans which are transferable to the world of work, the subsequent world of work, whether it's business or the media or politics or the military or whatever. Um, professionals generally as well. So that, that I think that's a very significant um, factor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Schneider, do you have anything to add to that? Well, there, there are other ranking systems like the, the Q uh, world rankings uh, that the London, London Times uh, operates. And Oxford, I think, has uh, been the number one university three years in a row in those rankings. Uh, and Oxford's often been the number one in medical research. So I think people didn't really realize until the Oxford AstraZeneca uh, vaccine just how uh, much medical science research goes on here in Oxford. A lot of people think Oxford is for the humanities and Cambridge is for math and science, but that's that's not really true at all. There are, uh, there are very strong programs in sciences at Oxford as well as very strong humanities programs at Cambridge. Um, so they they are they certainly are two competitive 
universities any way you look at it. But what Tudor was describing, I think, is the effect of what we would call a liberal education uh, that is given to Oxford undergraduates. And through the Oxford Study Abroad program, our students get that kind of education that has launched what Tudor, something like 28 prime ministers produced uh, by Oxford, uh, who come here and study classics and go on to be a, a prime minister. I mean, again, it's amazing. And if you are at Mississippi State University, you have a direct line to that. I'd like to switch gears for just a second, Dr. Jones, uh, since you are a uh, distinguished political historian and I'm too old to be a part of the summer study program. I'm going to ask for a very quick tutorial. We use the word liberal around here in, in this country a lot and liberalism. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what that word means especially in the context that it's used today. Uh, could you speak a little bit about that and, and, and how perhaps um, what liberal meant 50 years ago isn't exactly what it means today? Well, that's a, a, a very interesting and searching question. Um, and I, my view is that the term liberal is widely misused in the United States to, to mean really leftist. Um, Liberalism, in fact, I've been discussing this on the phone today with um, the senior, the chief leader writer uh, of the Guardian newspaper, which is um, a left-leaning, uh, centre-left, I would say, centre-left-leaning um, national newspaper in Britain, um, following the victory of the Liberal Democrat candidate in a by-election, parliamentary by-election yesterday, in a constituency where I used to live, which is um, not far from Oxford. Um, in, in a nutshell, um, liberalism in the British and European sense uh, stresses the liberty of the individual and the, in both a negative sense of the freedom from state coercion and interference and the positive sense of the presence of opportunity to make effective choices in life. And, and another core value of liberalism, and I think in the, in the proper authentic sense, um, is, uh, is the decentralization of power, both uh, political and economic power. But anyway, that's my capsule definition of liberalism. And yes, it's a pity that it's not always, but sometimes misused in the United States, where you have a phenomenon, for instance, of people who call themselves liberals in some cases who don't believe in free speech. That seems to me uh, an anomaly. But it's distinct from libertarianism, right? Liberalism. Uh, it, it, it's... It doesn't believe in a minimal state, no, not necessarily um, uh, in the in the American sense of libertarian. Uh, but it but it certainly is libertarian in the sense of stressing the liberty of the individual and the supreme value of individual personality. Um, but uh, the way in which liberalism has developed in Britain, um, certainly since the beginning of the twentieth century, late late 19th century, I think is what one might term social liberalism, which emphasizes the, not the minimal state, but an enabling state rather than an overbearing state, uh, which seeks to wi widen opportunities for the individual. And in America, we would often use the, the term conservative to describe those values that Dr. Jones was just talking about. Um, but in the last few years, left uh, leaning commentators have identified it as neoliberalism. 
So this is why it gets very confusing. Exactly. Is somebody a liberal, a neoliberal, a neoconservative? Uh, it depends on when you ask that question. And to make it even more confusing, I, you know, when I'm speaking to students and I use the term uh, liberal education or liberal arts education, they conflate that often with some political position. And it's a distinct thing. And, and liberal, liberal education just means an education for a free person. It has nothing to do with your politics. Um, so that root, though, is about freedom. Yes, and, and for the self-development of the individual, personally, intellectually, and culturally. And again, shifting gears, uh, you are the author of a book about Bob Dylan, specifically Bob Dylan and his time in in, uh, in your country in the 60s. I bought it yesterday. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. Um, what got you interested in becoming a music historian or a biographer, I suppose, beyond being a political thinker. No, no, my my book isn't actually a biography or musicological or literary, um, as most studies of Bob Dylan are. It's it's cultural historical. Okay. As mentioned, because I'm, I'm I'm looking at the way in which he deeply influenced British popular music uh, during the 1960s and, and British popular culture. Um, and con and the same time, how he was influenced. Uh, at the same time, how this was a, a process of cross fertilization, because uh, summed up in the title of one of his best albums, "Bringing It All Back Home," because he saw British bands of group groups, as they later, or bands as they were later called, uh, such as the Beatles and the Animals and Manfred Mann um, and the Who. And the Rolling Stones as revitalizing rock and roll music, which was originally American music. But I think what is his great contribution lyrically, and why I think he is the greatest songwriter in popular music of our time, it's not just me who thinks that, I'm sure, is that he widened the range of subjects and themes which could be covered in the lyrics of popular music, greatly widened, you know, for instance, beyond boy-girl romance. Uh, and secondly, that uh, he instilled the notion that the lyrics of popular music could actually have something significant to say about contemporary society, about relationships, and even about the human condition itself. Um, and also the notion that the lyrics of popular music um, could be expressed in a way which was highly personal and emotionally direct. And that deeply influenced, um, for instance, John Lennon. Um, take one, one of the Beatles' best songs, in my opinion, which is um, in, in My Life. Yep. Which Lennon later stated in the last insignificant interview he gave before he was, he was murdered uh, in New York City that uh, he was directly in, inspired by, by uh, Dylan to, to write in a more directly personal way. And that's true of George Harrison and many other it's made me think I knew it was there, but the only story I really heard was that yes, after the Beatles met Bob Dylan, they sort of fundamentally changed or, or reevaluated what they thought was possible yeah. in terms of what they could do. But, um, what's your favorite Dylan album? Highway 61 revisited. I think that's not a bad one. Um, possibly, possibly followed by blood on the tracks. I was going to say blood on the tracks, probably my favorite one. Blood on the tracks is, yeah. something else um also like the basement no, I like, the whole, like the whole of 
yes, uh, so many, but uh, also you know, blonde and blonde, and bring it, bring oh, it yeah. all back home, and 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 the early, uh, very early one, uh, free being Bob Bob Dylan and but John I think, Wesley yeah, Harding. I think we're just listing Bob Dylan albums at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very distinctive. I, I first got to uh, well, Dylan and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones provided me the soundtrack for my my time as an undergraduate, right? In Oxford, uh, but I first heard Dylan's eponymous first album in a, in a little radio, sorry, record record store in, in, in Harrow in northwest London, the suburb of London where I grew up. That's where I first heard this guy. And I thought, this is uh, distinctive and powerful. Um, so, you know, that's a, my personal... Well, as a as a as a, a political um, thinker, do you prefer Dylan's political stuff, or do you when when he starts deviating away from that, what, what sort well, of period he, do you like? Dylan hated to be pigeonholed, yes. and I think he, he he moved away from and di- disliked the term the voice of a generation. He really disliked that. Uh, he disliked also being associated with um, the hippie movement. Um, uh, because I think he essentially he was he was a, an American bohemian, a maverick bohemian who was mistrustful of all mass cultural movements, um, and uh, I think uh, you know you can see this this um, individualism and individuality, perhaps is a better word, throughout throughout his whole career, his whole songwriting career and whole musical career. You know the fact that he goes to to Nashville to record Highway 61 Revisited and uh, later Blonde on Blonde, you know, which was the home of country music, of course, as you know. Um, and and uh, he, he befriended um, Johnny, Johnny Cash as well. Uh, so, yeah, a number of... I hope, I hope your listeners will, will buy and read my book. If I do too. <laughs> It's called Bob Dylan in the British 60s, A Cultural History. Um, it's on Amazon. I just got it yesterday, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, well, I just want to thank Tudor for spending this time uh, talking with us and all of our students now get to hear you and, and prospective students. Um, so it really is a great opportunity to get to come to Oxford and uh, and, and engage in the life of the mind uh, the way that, that Dr. Jones uh, and I like to do. So thank you. And again, thank you very much, sir. Uh, To learn more about the Shackles Honors College at Mississippi State University, please visit honors.msstate.edu. That's honors.msstate.edu. If you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me. Just go to the website and you can find all our contact information. Please share this podcast with your friends. Please spread it around. Let people know that they have a direct line into the Shackles Honors College, one of the most remarkable honors colleges, not only in the state of Mississippi, but I would argue in the world. Thank you again, Dr. Snyder, for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you again, Dr. Jones, for taking some time to talk with us. I do have one question for you, Dr. Snyder. Uh, When when do I get to go to Oxford? (laughs) Get in line. (laughs) I think everybody would like to come. Uh, It is a wonderful place to be. Fair enough. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Hail State.